You may be seated. John three eighteen through 21. Living on death row. It's an experience that most of us will never have in this physical life. Living on death row. Some of you might have that experience. Pray not. But the reality is that part of the people in this building are living on death row right now. And I don't say that lightheartedly as a joke. I say it as the truth. That whoever does not believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, is condemned. You're on death row. The sentence has been passed. You are guilty. And you face not just death by man. All of us die. You face the death of your soul in hell. Whoever does not believe in the only Son of God, John quotes Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Whoever does not believe in the only Son of God is condemned. If there was a period there we would be left with questions unanswered. And so Jesus doesn't stop. He says, but whoever believes in the Son of God is not condemned. The gospel is the good news of how a man condemned can be acquitted. His sentence can be commuted. He can be turned loose from death row. Sinners, the Bible tells us, all of us are sinners. And sinners are criminals in the first degree. We have committed our crimes not against humanity, but against a holy God. And I want to set up a scenario for you and then carry that through different parts of the message. I'll put myself in the crime. So not to implicate you. Sinners are best understood as those who are guilty of a crime. They have committed. They are convicted by a judge they have not seen to a sentence that is already completed for them. It's already prepared for them. And they are now living in the world between those two times. The crime and the place that's been prepared. It's a done deal, folks. There's not a question of whether any of us in this room are sinners. We are sinners. And because we are sinners, there's a sentence. And the sentence has already been passed. It's not coming. It has already been passed. Since before the foundation of the world, it's been passed. And if you were here today not believing in the Son of God, you are under the sentence. The crime, though it's much bigger than this, I don't want to make it small, but 
for our example's sake, let's think of a crime like if I robbed the bank here in town. And in the process of robbing the bank, I killed the teller and then fled the scene of the crime. And though they had pictures of me, I was guilty, obviously. It was me on the camera. And there were testimony to the fact that it was me. I wasn't caught yet. I'm free. But am I free? The reality is, from the time I commit the crime, I'm a slave. If I went in the local bank here and killed a teller and took the money and fled, though I might get away on foot, I may be able to hide out. I may be able to elude the authorities for years to come. I am not free. The, the lie, the foolish lie the world is telling you today is that though you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're free. And you actually have greater freedom than someone who does believe in Jesus because you don't have to obey the rules. You're free. Live how you want to. But in your heart, you don't need me to tell you this, in your heart, your heart tells you you're not free. You're not free. You're in your own prison. Our songwriters today write songs about these prisons. Many of them are on the top 40 right now. Iron gates that won't open up for me. These are the thoughts of our modern composers as they write their music about their lives and the lives of those around them. Is We're not free. These iron gates won't open. We can't get out of the prison that we've set for ourselves. We're all slaves. And so if I commit this crime and I go into this local bank branch and I kill someone, take the money, and I flee... And I, it's obvious I've done it, yet I, to the world, though I am guilty, I have not been brought to justice, right? Those of you in the room that aren't in Christ, don't believe in Him, you just haven't been brought to justice yet. But you've committed the crime and you are guilty. And judgment is on you. And the wrath of the judge is on you. And it's only the difference in the scenario is that you haven't committed a crime against a bank teller, a bank, or your fellow humans. You've committed a crime, and I committed crimes against a holy and infinite God. It can't be paid back. I can give the money back if I rob the bank. I can live 25 years in a prison cell for the lifespan of another person. And my debt to society, in their eyes, has been paid. How do you repay a God who is infinitely holy and who you and I have infinitely offended by our crimes? How do we do it? The crime's been committed. The sentence has been passed. We are living in the assurance of death. Death row is what we might think of it as. The question for you, for me today is... What am, I, why, what am I condemned for and how can I get out from underneath this condemnation? Jesus follows up the teaching of the great love of God which moves Him to action in giving His Son in John three sixteen and 17 with the teaching that you are under condemnation and you are in death. I want us to learn some things today about this condemnation. I want us to see how we get out from under condemnation. Every person in the human race is condemned when, you are out, when they are outside of Christ. 
Everyone. There's no exceptions. I told this fictional story about me robbing a bank and killing a bank teller. And the fact that I might have lived years without the public condemnation, though I was guilty. Jesus says that is the condition of every person. Though your fellow man doesn't see you this way, God sees you and He knows you as condemned and under His wrath. Waiting for judgment. Do you f- I hope you can feel that. We're so guilty of just thinking our way through the Bible. You need to feel the weight of this. If you are without Christ today, you are sitting on death row waiting for death. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul writes for us in Romans 3, 10 through 11, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians in two, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the, this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, what's the word? All. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul, writing to these Christians, says, Don't boast in your salvation, in your purity, in your goodness. There's nothing to boast of. You are just like them in your nature. You are condemned in your nature. You're just as guilty as them. We've all done it. We've all gone our own way. We've all lived in the lusts of our flesh and our mind. It doesn't matter how good you think you've been or how bad you think you've been. You've done it for your own self if you're not in Christ. You may be sitting here as a Pharisee, spotless to man, but inside dead men's bones. Why? Because your whole life is consumed in looking good to everyone around you so that you can gain their approval. Your whole life is consumed with a higher goal maybe than the fellow man. Maybe your whole life is consumed with the thought of I want to please God who made me and so I'm going to work my way to heaven and you're just as guilty and condemned as the man if it was me who went into the bank, kills the bank teller, takes the money and lives his life in utter sin and rebellion. You're just as guilty. You're just as guilty. All of us are condemned. No one comes after God. No one uh, is innocent. All of us have iniquity. If you're here today and you're without belief in Jesus Christ as the one and only Son of God who who is alone able to save you from your evil deeds, then you are living in condemnation. You are living in wrath. You are living in death. It doesn't matter if you like the description of your life or you don't like the description of your life. The Bible says this is where you are. You're condemned. If you're here today and you have a relative, a friend, or even if you just know a lost person at work or at school, I'm begging you to think of them as condemned. You won't be motivated to share the gospel with someone unless you know, the number one, the God that they have offended, and number two, the great depth of their offense. 
Many of us don't share the gospel with people around us. Why? Could it be that we don't see them as condemned? We don't see them as headed to hell. We don't see them as on death row. We just see them as mistaken, ignorant, foolish, living a good life but just not good enough. That's how we view our fellow man. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, and I think it has implication for us, is if you're not believing in Christ today, you are condemned. The, one of the aspects of that, one of the applications of that for a Christian just so Christians don't think, well, this doesn't really have anything to do with me. Yes, it does. When you show up at work in the morning and you look at your office, you're not looking at people who are just sadly mistaken. You're looking at people who are serving out a life sentence of death. And they will serve it for the rest of eternity. And so this, this, this sentence of death that Jesus speaks about, condemnation, really speaks to all of us. Why not apply the golden rule? You say, I don't, I don't know how to share the gospel. Why? You know, I, 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 I know how I got saved, but I don't know anything else. Apply the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And so turn the card. Put yourself where they are and they have eternal life and you're living on death row. I just choose to believe that you would at least want them to open the mouth and say, hey, this is who Jesus is. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We've trivialized that statement into nothing more than, you know, don't talk back to your mama. And... You know, be kind, help the person across the street. And we've missed the greatest application of that simple text. You have the words of life? Share them. Why? Because if you were on the other side of that, you would want someone with the words of life to share them with you. And so, the condemnation is on us all. All who don't believe. And so I'm a Christian. What does I do? Do unto others as you'd have them doing to you. Share the words of life. Tell them about Jesus Christ. View them not as mistaken, but as dead. Everyone is condemned if they are outside of Christ. That's the first point. Every human is condemned when they are outside of Christ. Why is everyone outside of Christ condemned? That's the question that comes to mind, that begs for an answer. I want to give you three answers from the text. First of all, you are condemned today if you are here without Christ because you have not believed in Jesus Christ. Jesus says in verse 18 that the reason for condemnation is because you have not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. That's what verse 18 says to us. That's why you're condemned. The name of the Son is Jesus. Jesus is the name which was given to the Messiah, the promised one, the one who would come as a sacrifice for those who believed. What does his name mean? The first two letters of his name speak of Jehovah. J-E, Jehovah in the, in the Old Testament. It was the name, the proper name of God. The last three letters speak towards the Hebrew word of saved. Jesus' name, as the angel told Joseph, literally means God saves. That's what his name means. 
when a Greek person in Jesus' day, when a Hebrew person heard the name Jesus, they thought immediately of the Hebrew equivalent Joshua, which means God saves. God will save is another way you might say that. God will save. Jesus came as a fulfillment of the prophecies, a fulfillment of the promises that God made in the Old Testament. And so, the gospel really is different than anything else, isn't it? I mean, no other world religion touts this type of of singularity in one man. They may all say their system is right, but there's a lot of different great prophets and great men in these faiths. But not in the Christian faith, there is only one. Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's at that point, the reason why you're condemned today is, is because, if you don't believe in Jesus, is because you refuse that singularity of Christ, that supremacy of Jesus Christ. That's why. You know, when you share the gospel, when I share the gospel, people will follow along with us for the most part. I mean, Psalm 14, 1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. The fool does that. So I don't want to be a name caller. I think everybody in the room, saved or unsaved, would say there's something bigger than me. There's a God, if that's what you want to call it. All men believe this. Look at the cultures around the world. All of them have worshipped something. Why? Because they know there's a God. You can accept there's a God. You can accept that God loves you. You can accept that God has great power. You can never, though, these people that are condemned can never accept that Jesus Christ is the only way to that God. That's the point of disjuncture. That's where things break down. You share the gospel in some vague, general way, in general terms, and never mention Jesus, and everybody will sign up. Because everybody wants peace. Everybody wants a good life. Everybody wants eternal life if there is such a thing. Everybody wants heaven. Nobody wants hell. But condemnation comes to you today, not because you don't want those things, but because you don't want Jesus Christ. It's the first thing from the text. Secondly, you are condemned because you prefer sin over the light of Jesus Christ. 19 tells you clearly, not only did you reject Jesus, the only Son, you reject the light that He brings. The aim of your life is not Christ, but sin. Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They missed the mark is a modern translation. I, I, I don't remember which one I read that in, but there's a modern English translation that says it missed the mark. For all have sinned and missed the mark. But let me help you understand the concept. It's not that you're shooting at the target. I said this a few weeks ago. It's not that you're shooting at the target and you're off a little bit. That would mean you missed the target. The reality is for all have sinned and they don't aim at God. They don't even aim at Jesus Christ. When you're not a Christian, it's not that you're shooting towards the target and getting close. It's that you're shooting at a whole other target. You don't want to be like God. You want to be like you. You want to be the supreme human or whatever your goal in life might be. So your aim is wrong. You're aiming. You hate Jesus Christ. or You don't come to the light. You don't like the light. You like sin. You like what you're aiming at. And so, it shouldn't surprise us when we preach a consumer gospel, people get saved. When we tell people things like, God has a purpose for your life and He wants you to fulfill your purpose. 
Most people sign up for that. Because they have equated, I'm shooting at this target, that's my purpose. God, oh, God's going to help me meet my purpose. Hallelujah, I'm glad somebody's going to help me. I'm glad God loves me. But when you say to them, no, your target's wrong. Your purpose in life is wrong. You've got to aim to Jesus. They say, wait a minute. That's too exclusive. I don't like that. Defenses start rising. See, as long as we talk their language, they'll accept our gospel. There's no problems. As long as there's no conflict in this gospel we preach, there won't be a problem. The problem that we have is not that God is too far away from us. The problem is we're not even aiming at Him. That's what's wrong with us. We are condemned because we don't believe in Jesus. We are condemned because we don't like the light. We, like, we, we, we don't like Jesus. We like sin. Third, finally, we're condemned because you are condemned because you hate the light. That's what Jesus says in verse 20. You hate the light. Light is emphasized in this passage. Five times in this section, Jesus used the word light. Reference to John chapter 1 and in verses 3 through 9, you will see that John uses the word light, same word, six times. Light is an emphasis for John. Later in John's Gospel, he's going to say that Jesus calls Himself the light. There's all this focus about the light. You know why there's a focus about the light? Because we hate the light in our nature. When I was not a Christian, I was like a cockroach. When you got up for your midnight snack and flipped the light on, I ran and hid. Y'all might have had clean houses as a kid. Nice mansions that had bug guys come around once in a while. Maybe you don't know what a cockroach does. When you turn the light on, a cockroach goes to the shadows. Why? Because he doesn't want his evil deeds exposed. What are his evil deeds? He's robbing from you. And he fears you. Why? Because he's condemned in your presence. I don't know anybody in here that has a pet cockroach. Maybe so, but I'm betting not. I collected them as a kid only to put them in a mason jar with alcohol so they died and I could pin them on a board or throw them on my sister or something like that, okay? But nobody in here likes cockroaches. They're condemned in our presence. And if they don't run for the shadows when we turn the light on, the shoe will fall. Even my little two-year-old boy knows this principle. I get a phone call from my wife. She's ecstatic. Her and my daughter are on the couch, and there is a bug in the room. A rather big bug. And she's frantic. you got to come home. I'm not coming home. you just got to bug it. It's fine. It'll be fine. So we get off the phone. We get off the phone. You men are laughing because y'all have all gotten that phone call. You women are laughing because your husbands came home when you called. <laughs> I had to put that in there. Okay. I was headed home. (laughs) And she calls right back. Never mind. Noah killed the bug. Get the picture. And the shoe fell. The light came on. And that bug didn't go for the shadows. And he was crushed. 
And the reality is the reason that you are running from God today is because you know when the shoe falls, you're in trouble. And what Jesus is saying to you is stop running from the light. Stop running. Stop hating the light. Let your deeds be exposed. That's what the Bible says in verse 20. In 20. The wicked, the one who does wicked, his deeds are exposed by the light, so he hates the light. But the one who does truly, he comes to the light. And he is exposed and everything is seen to be in God. What a wonderful concept. To hate the light. Have you ever understood, have you ever thought about this? I thought about this. Crime happens mainly at night. People seek the the cover of darkness, the shroud of darkness to do their dirty deeds. Most people don't go out in plain daylight and do these things. It's only in the light that they're exposed, so they go at night. They go in the cover of darkness. The light exposes us as sinners, and we are condemned because we hate the light and love the shadows of the darkness of our sin. That's why we're condemned. We hate Jesus. We hate the light. We run from the light. So how can I be set free from this condemnation? For the answer to this, we go back to verse 18. First part. Second, whoever believes in Him, 18b, is not condemned. You want to be free? You're tired of living a criminal lifestyle of rebellion against God. You're wearied by being the enemy of God. You can be free. You can only be free in Him. And so, if you're free, you will have life and not death. If you are free, you will love light and not dark. I robbed the bank. I killed the teller. I got away for a season. I ran. Far away from this place, I ran. But when I reached the airport in Seattle, ready to leave the country, going to be scot-free, I was tired of being a criminal. So what does a criminal do when he's tired of being a criminal? Gets a plane ticket home. Comes back to Jacksonville with his money or whatever's left of it. And his weapon. And goes to the police station. My reception was not all that good, though they were glad I was off the street. There was still a sentence to carry out. I was guilty. And across the desk from me sat a man that was not guilty. Charged to condemn, but ready to set me free. And so he wrote out my sentence, made my date, of appearance before the court and on that day he escorted me there and stood before the judge his dad 
and said, He's guilty. He's repented. I'll pay his price. And what I'm telling you is that Jesus Christ is that man. You're tired of being guilty. You're tired of being captive to your sin. You're tired of being a criminal. Come to the light. Because the thing you fear the most is the only thing that can set you free. Come to the light and let him take your death so you can have his life. Come to the light and let him take your punishment so you can have his gift. Come to the light today so that he can confess you before his Father. Come to the light. Come to the light and be exposed so that the iron gates of your prison of sin can be done away with. Living on death row is a terrible thing. Living on spiritual death row is unbearable. That's why Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me and I will give you rest. I'll take your yoke, I'll give you mine. Don't you want that? If you do, if you do, then He is already working in your life. That's what verse 21 means. The one who does truly loves the light. Why? Because it shows that all that He has done has been done in God. If you're sitting there and you say, I am that cockroach, I am that sinner, I am that criminal, and I want to come home, I want to confess, I want to be made right, I want to do whatever it takes, have confidence in this, God has already begun the work in you. That's what Jesus means in verse 21. Why do they love the light? Because their deeds are from God. And so their fear turns into love. And if that's you, come. He will not turn you away. All that the Father gives Him have come and will come and He will not turn them away. Come to the light. Be exposed so that you might have eternal life. And having life, freedom. And having freedom, the abundant life. Come and be saved. But it's today. I can't stand here in good faith and offer you another chance, another opportunity, another day of salvation. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you hear me call, come. If you hear him, come. That's all I ask. Is come. Father, I am the criminal. I am guilty. I have no hope except you. Lord, I pray that we would view those in the world as condemned to death. 
I pray that I could see them. That I could feel their pain. That I could know the misery that they will experience and already do experience. Forgive me and forgive us for having right answers, but an attitude of hatred towards those who don't know the answer. Forgive us for being judgmental. Forgive us for exalting ourselves above others. Help us to realize we are all sinners. We all were in this same condition. We all were going on the lust of our minds until you, by grace, saved us. Help us to remember the awesome words that come right after all of us went according to the course of this world, but God, but God in infinite love and mercy with His grace through Jesus Christ has saved us. Lord, move us from bitterness and hatred of the world to compassion and brokenness for the world. I pray that we can stand in front of our Jerusalem and weep real tears for those who are dying without You. To do that, Lord, we are going to have to have Your heart. And so, give us Your heart. Give us Your mind. And, Lord, help us to carry Your burden. And Father, I pray for those who are lost, that are here. I pray that they fall in the category of those who already see the light and are coming to the light. I pray that nothing would thwart them, nothing would slow them down. Don't let them overthink it. Don't let them over-rationalize it. Don't let them over-feel it or have these great emotions. Just let them come and be saved. Move all the barriers away and let them be saved. Act on them. Save them. Even now. Take their crutches and their moves of dependence away and let them be dependent on You and You alone for their salvation. We love You, Lord Jesus. We thank You for Your Master teaching in Your Word, which is our authority. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.